Chapter number eighteen of Some Eminent Women of Our Times. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Naomi Brewster of Melbourne, Australia. Some Eminent Women of Our Times by Millicent Garrett Fawcett. Chapter eighteen. Dorothy Wordsworth and were another childhood world my share i would be born a little sister there george eliot a hundred years ago england was particularly rich in great brothers and sisters there were william and caroline herschel charles and mary lamb and perhaps chief of all william and dorothy wordsworth these last were certainly the greatest as tested by the position of the brother in the world of literature he won and maintained a place among the greatest of english poets but the very greatness of the brother was the cause why the sister is known only as a tributary to his genius it is not that his achievements dwarf hers by comparison she made no conscious contribution to literature she felt from the outset of their life together that he was capable of giving to his countrymen thoughts which the world would not willingly let die and she deliberately suppressed in herself all cultivation of her own powers save such as should contribute to support sustain and promote his as charles lamb said of his own sister if the balance has been against her it was a noble trade there is however much evidence that the balance was not against dorothy wordsworth she did not sacrifice herself in vain she chose to give up all independent cultivation of her own considerable poetic gifts and also to renounce all hope of love and marriage for the sake of devoting her whole life to her brother and of helping to a freer and nobler utterance the poet who has given us the ode of the intimations of immortality the ode of duty the happy warrior and a host of songs and sonnets among the most beautiful in our language the sister freely and generously gave the brother freely and generously received and freely and generously acknowledged the value of the gift over and over again in prose and verse wordsworth acknowledges all that he owes to his sister never more warmly than when on the approach of old age disease had laid its hand upon her and the long accustomed support seemed likely to be withdrawn when coleridge and dorothy lay prostrate under the stroke of sickness wordsworth wrote at the age of sixty-two he and my beloved sister are the two beings to whom my intellect is most indebted and they are now proceeding as it were with equal steps along the path of sickness i will not say towards the grave but i trust towards a blessed immortality if wordsworth reviewing the past could speak thus of his sister it must be of interest to us to endeavour to discern what her influence over him was and how their life together was passed william wordsworth was born in seventeen seventy at cockermouth in cumberland the second son of john wordsworth 
a lawyer and land agent to the earls of lonsdale dorothy her parents only girl was twenty months younger than william and the two children very early showed that close sympathy and tender affection for one another which is often the precious possession of happy family life only a few years were spent together by the brother and sister in this joyous playtime of life but the happiness of this early time is recorded in several of wordsworth's poems especially in the one where he speaks of his sister and their visit together to see the sparrow's nest she looked at it and seemed to fear it dreading though wishing to be near it such heart was in her being then a little prattler among men the blessing of my later years was with me when a boy she gave me eyes she gave me ears and humble cares and delicate fears a heart the fountain of sweet tears and love and thought and joy william and dorothy were less than nine and seven respectively when these happy days of childish companionship were closed by the death of their mother in seventeen seventy eight william was then sent to school and dorothy went to live with her maternal grandparents in penrith the children were doubly orphaned five years later by the death of their father in seventeen eighty three william and his brothers then passed to the guardianship of their uncles richard and christopher wordsworth while dorothy was made over to the care of other relatives and spent her time partly at halifax and partly with her mother's cousin dr cookson canon of windsor she and william however by no means forgot their childish affection or let it grow cold they rarely met at this time but their meetings were looked forward to by both with ardent and intense pleasure each continued to be to the other the dearest and most beloved of friends wordsworth like most generous young people of his day was deeply stirred by sympathy with the french revolution at its outset he believed it would bring immeasurable blessings to mankind tyranny cruelty and vice were he believed to be dismissed from the high places of the earth and in their stead would reign justice mercy peace and love it is therefore not difficult to imagine with what agony of disappointment he saw as he thought all these high hopes falsified and the light that had been lit by the revolution quenched in blood and in a series of massacres more cruel and remorseless than any that had disgraced previous forms of government for a time the belief in goodness and righteousness seemed shaken in him to disbelieve in the power of goodness is infidelity and from this gulf of infidelity wordsworth was saved by his sister's influence this was the first memorable service she rendered to his moral nature he was saved from becoming permanently soured and narrowed by the sunny radiance of his sister's sympathy and by her unshaken faith that good is stronger than evil the brother and sister now resolved to live together and from that hour dorothy's whole life was given to enrich and solace that of her brother and to help him to give utterance to those great thoughts and words which at last made the whole of england aware 
that the nation was possessed of another poet wordsworth was now twenty-five years of age he had passed through his college career at cambridge and had travelled abroad and the time had come when it was not unnaturally expected of him that he should settle down to some business or profession that would provide him with an income very little had come to the family from inheritance and parents and guardians are not generally disposed to look with lenient indulgence on a penniless young man of twenty-five who shows a disinclination to any steady work and is suspected of an ambition to become a poet wordsworth's uncles had been kind and generous guardians but they could not have been pleased at what must have seemed to them at this time the dilatory desultory life of their nephew his sister however all the while gave him her warmest sympathy and support before any one else had dreamed of it she recognised her brother's genius she not only believed that he could be a poet but knew that he was a poet she did not urge him as a well-intentioned but less perceptive friend might have done to become a lawyer or a doctor or what not she made it possible by joining her life to his and nourishing his genius by the tribute she poured into it from her own that he should have the quiet sympathetic surroundings without which his poetic imagination could not work their slender means were augmented about this time by a legacy which rendered it possible for the brother and sister to have a little cottage home together here at racedown in dorsetshire wordsworth first began seriously to devote himself to poetry their means were so small that the utmost economy was necessary but dorothy cheerfully undertook all the household work of cleaning cooking making and mending she was not one of those who think there is any degradation either to man or woman in manual labour while she was busied with household cares her brother often worked in their garden when their digging and cooking were accomplished they read italian authors together or took long walks through the beautiful country in which they had fixed their abode it must not be thought that miss wordsworth was nothing more to her brother than an energetic economical housekeeper she was in feeling almost as much a poet as he was she had the same intense sympathy with nature the same observant eye and loving heart for all the various moods of the beautiful outside world she had also much of her brother's power of expression and the same felicity in description it has been said of her her journals are wordsworth in prose just as his poems are dorothy in verse wordsworth said of his brother john that he was a silent poet and a poet in everything but words meaning that he was a poet in feeling and sympathy but something more than this can be said of dorothy she was a prose poet who might have become a true poet if she had not felt that she had another vocation she was her brother's inspirer and critic and what she wrote herself proves that she was worthy to be both some passages of her diary are almost identical in thought and observation with subjects that wordsworth has crystallized in immortal verse 
on thirtieth july eighteen o two we have for example in the prose of dorothy's journal part of what wordsworth has given to us in the sonnets of westminster bridge and calais sands left london between five and six o'clock of the morning outside the dover coach a beautiful morning the city st paul's with the river a multitude of little boats made a beautiful sight as we crossed westminster bridge the houses not overhung by their clouds of smoke were spread out endlessly yet the sun shone so brightly with such a pure light that there was something like the purity of one of nature's own grand spectacles arrived at calais at four in the morning of thirty first july delightful walks in the evenings seeing far off in the west of the coast of england like a cloud crested with dover castle the evening star and the glory of the sky the reflections in the water were more beautiful than the sky itself purple waves brighter than precious stones were forever melting away on the sands whoever will compare this with the two sonnets beginning earth has not anything to show more fair and fair star of evening splendour of the west will see how far it is just to say that dorothy has given us in prose what wordsworth has given us in verse there is a deeper human passion in wordsworth's verse than dorothy ever reached in her prose he would not stand to-day the third in the noble group where shakespeare and milton are first and second if he had not possessed over and above his subtle sympathy with nature sympathy also with the greatest of nature's works man the heart of man and human life in the lines composed a few miles above tintern abbey and again in the ode on the intimations of immortality wordsworth speaks of the change which had gradually come in himself from the days when the worship of external nature meadow grove and stream and earth and every common sight was all in all to him to the time when i have learnt to look on nature not as in the hour of thoughtless youth but hearing oftentimes the still sad music of humanity nor harsh nor grating though of ample power to chasten and subdue it was here as it seems that his sister could not follow him perhaps her self-suppression the very concentration of her devotion to her brother closed her powers of receptive sympathy for the wider issues of human destiny which inspires the most precious of wordsworth's verse whether this be so or not he saw in her what he once had been and had ceased to be i cannot paint what then i was the sounding cataract haunted me like a passion the tall rock the mountain and the deep gloomy wood their colours and their forms were then to me an appetite a feeling and a love that had no need of a remoter charm that time is past and all its aching joys are now no more and all its dizzy raptures for thou art with me here upon the banks of this fair river thou my dearest friend my dear dear friend and in thy voice i catch 
the language of my former heart and read my former pleasures in the shooting lights of thy wild eyes oh yet a little while may i behold in thee what i once was my dear dear sister after race down the next residence of wordsworth and his sister was in seventeen ninety seven at Alfoxden in Somersetshire. Here they were visited by Coleridge and Lamb, and here the Ancient Mariner was composed, chiefly by Coleridge, but with the help and with the stimulus of Wordsworth and Dorothy. It was during their residence here that the lines written above Tintern Abbey were composed and published. Racedown and Alfoxden were temporary re resting places only. Wordsworth and his sister did not make a real home for themselves till they settled in the beautiful lake country of Westmoreland in 1799. At first they lived in a small cottage, where Dorothy, with the help of one feeble old woman, whom they employed partly out of charity, did all the domestic work. A few years later they removed to the house at Rydal Mount, Grasmere, which will always be associated with their memory, and where the rest of their lives were passed. It has been pointed out by Mr. Matthew Arnold that almost all Wordsworth's best works were produced in the ten years between 1798 and 1808. During this time, he had achieved no fame. He had gained no audience, as it were, save the very select group of whom the chief members were his sister, Coleridge and Charles Mary Lamb. All through this time of the production of Wordsworth's best work, Dorothy continued to devote herself to him by the cheerful performance of the double duties of domestic drudge and literary companion and critic. She was also his comrade in many long mountain excursions in which they both delighted. Miss Wordsworth had extraordinary physical strength, which many persons believe she overtaxed by her long walks over moor and mountain. It is certain, however, that her brother delighted in her physical vigour no less than in her mental gifts. He speaks in lines addressed to her of her being healthy as a shepherd boy, and in other places he often shows that physical feebleness formed no part in his conception of feminine grace. His ideal woman is ruddy, fleet and strong, and down the rocks can leap along like rivulets in May. Or again, she shall be sportive as the fawn that wild with glee across the lawn or up the mountain springs. In 1802 the poet married his cousin, Mary Hutchinson, and nothing is more characteristic of Dorothy's sweet and generous nature than the warm, loving welcome which she gave to her brother's wife. She did not know jealousy in love. Her love was so perfect that she rejoiced in every addition to her brother's happiness, and did not, as a meaner woman might have done, wish his heart to be vacant of all affection save what he felt for herself. The poet's wife was worthy of such husband and sister-in-law, and the family life went on in perfect love and harmony. That were only strengthened by the new ties and interests that marriage brought. Wordsworth's children became as dear to Dorothy as if they had been her own, and she devoted herself to them so that they learnt to feel that they had in her 
almost a second mother. In 1832, Wordsworth then being 62 years old and his sister over 60, Dorothy's health seriously broke down. So much has been said in some of the books about the poet and his sister of the harm resulting to Miss Wordsworth's health from her long walks that it might have been imagined that she had been the victim of a very premature decline of physical powers. Considering, however, that she was descended from parents both of whom had died young, it is at least doubtful whether her failure of health at the age of sixty can be fairly attributed to her pedestrian feats. Her illness in 1832 culminated in a dangerous attack of brain fever from which she recovered but with mental and physical powers permanently enfeebled. Her memory was darkened and her spirit, once so blithe and gay, became clouded and dull. Wordsworth and his wife tended her with unceasing devotion. One who knew them well wrote of Wordsworth at this time that there is always something very touching in his way of speaking of his sister. The tones of his voice became very gentle and solemn, and he ceased to have that flow of expression which is so remarkable in him on all other subjects. The same friend wrote, Those who know what they, William and Dorothy Wordsworth, were to each other, can well understand what it must have been to him to see that soul of life and light obscured. Notwithstanding the delicate health from which she suffered before the close of her life, she outlived her brother for five years. He died in 23rd April 1850, the anniversary of Shakespeare's birth and death. His sister at first could hardly comprehend her loss, but when at last she understood that her heart's best treasure was no more, she exclaimed that there was nothing left worth living for. It was hardly life to live without him, to whom her own life had been devoted. The friends surrounding her dreaded the shock which this great loss would be to her, but she bore it with unexpected calmness. A friend wrote, She is drawn about as usual in her chair. She was heard to say as she passed the door where the body lay, O oh death, where is thy sting? O oh grave, where is thy victory? She died in January 1855 and was buried by her brother's side in Grasmere Churchyard. End of chapter 18